show that clip because uh, I think it illustrates well this book of the Bible. Because this is a gal is from the Antiques Roadshow that uh, had these baseball cards and had no idea what they were worth until she brings them to the show and they tell her uh, they're worth a you know, million dollars. And she's just like, wow, I never realized that what I had actually was worth a million dollars. And this is what the whole book of Ephesians is about. Uh, that like this woman who's had these baseball cards, that those of us who follow Jesus, that, that, that we're followers of, uh, of Jesus, but we don't always realize and recognize what we have in Jesus. Uh, that in Jesus, we are actually far richer uh, than we think. And that's what we've been talking about uh, through, this, uh, through this book. And so far, this is what we've seen. Uh, just in the first chapter, uh, that, that in Christ we are saints. Uh, that in Christ, uh, that we are in Christ, not that outside of Christ, beside Christ, but we are in Christ. And that verse 3 uh, told us that we have every, not just some, but every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Uh, verse 4 says we are chosen. It says that God actually wanted us. We're not like, you know, leftovers. He, he wanted us. That we are holy and blameless. That we are sons and daughters of God. That we are redeemed. Uh, set free from slavery and bondage is what it means. Uh, we are forgiven. That we've been lavished in His grace. You can just picture you just lavishing your dog with soap or whatever. I mean, just cover, we've, we've been covered in grace. And as Basil talked about uh, uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, that we have been given the Holy Spirit. I mean, we have so much in Christ. And a lot of times we kind of walk around and we just kind of pretend like we're the same as anybody else in this world. And we have Christ, they don't. But, you know, it's not a lot different. We have so much in Christ. And we need to walk in that. And that's why we've been going through this book. So that to help us walk in this identity that God has given us. That we are more blessed than we can ever, ever imagine in this life. And it's not because we're so good. It's, just, it's because Jesus is that good. And we follow Jesus, and we love Jesus. And today, as we enter into work, I talk, it's kind of a, a smoothie sermon. I'm going to hit a few different topics. But uh, we're going to talk in the end just, just about the blessing uh, of, the, of the fact that we have uh, a tremendous amount of power uh, from God. But it starts in, uh, in verse 15 is where we're uh, at. And Paul writes to the, to the Ephesians, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And, and this text right here is actually uh, a prayer. And there's actually a few different prayers in the book of Ephesians that Paul wrote down. This is Paul's prayer for these people. And what is fascinating, if you actually study uh, Paul's prayer life, uh, Paul was a man of prayer, and he prayed a lot. And here we see that he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you, my brother, that he hasn't stopped praying for these people in Ephesus. And I asked myself, like, how many people have I not stopped praying for? You know, I don't stop praying for my family, and I don't stop praying every day for this church, and, and there's num numerous people in this church that I, that I pray for often. But, you know, Paul, when you scan through the New Testament, it is amazing how much this guy prayed. Uh, just look at, uh, at, at all these letters he wrote and just how much he is praying for all these churches. I mean, I mean, hopefully you're all praying for this church. But how many times are you praying for Kootenai Christian Fellowship and the Bethel and all these different churches out there? I mean, 
Paul was praying for all these churches. In, in verse 9, he says, to the Romans, uh, the church in Rome, I remember you in my prayers at all times. He's not just praying constantly for the church in Ephesus, but he's praying constantly for the church in Rome. And then to the Philippians, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. He's always praying for them. And, 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 and Colossae, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And then the church in Thessalonica, we always thank God for you, all of you, and continually mention you in our prayers. And then also uh, in Thessalonians, he mentions night and day. We pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Second uh, Thessalonians, we constantly pray for you. To Timothy, uh, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. To, uh, to Philemon, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. I mean, that's a lot of praying. If you can say, I'm always praying for you and always praying for you and always praying. And all these churches he's praying for, all these people he's praying for. Like, and this was a busy guy. He wrote most of the New Testament, and he was planting churches and, and traveling. Because, like, you know, often we say, well, I can't be praying for all these people. I can't be praying for all these churches because I'm just too busy. And really what we're saying is that we don't really believe in the power of prayer. Because the reality is we are, we are always living out our priorities. And if we don't make prayer a priority, then it's just, it's just not a priority in our life. And the reason Paul was praying as much as he did, because he understood that prayer, it works. Uh, prayer changes things. And you find often, if you talk to people who pray a lot, they will say, prayer works. If you talk to people who don't pray very much, they say, well, I don't pray much because prayer doesn't work. It's because you don't pray enough. I mean, the more you pray, the more you see God answer prayer, the more you see him doing things. And he's praying all these things because he realized that sometimes he can do more for the church through prayer than he can by actually hands-on work. And one of the best things you can do for this church is to pray for it. I mean, one of the best things you can do for all the churches in this area is to be praying for all your brothers and sisters in this area. That God would pour out blessing. He would move and, and draw people to Jesus. And, and we, we, we need to have this heart of prayer uh, in our church. And Paul had it. And it's just a, a challenge for us. I mean, prayer really does change the story. And I don't know what you're struggling with today because, I mean, life is filled with different struggles, but I guarantee part of the answer to your struggle today is prayer. And are you really praying and seeking God? And you may say, well, I prayed a couple times and I didn't get an answer. Well, I mean, Jesus talks a lot about persistent prayer, passionate prayer. I mean, sometimes I look at it as our little kids come up and, you know, sometimes they'll say, you know, can I have this? And, you know, they ask once, usually are like, nah. But if they keep coming and coming and coming, say, oh, I really want, and you see their heart for what they're asking, and eventually for Christmas or something, you go, you know, I'm going to get that for them. And I think God is like that. When you just throw up a prayer, God, you know, give me a Porsche, or, you know, well, maybe not that, but, you know, God, did you do this in my life? And he's like, are you actually serious about this? This is really in your heart, and, and, uh, and to come to God with a passionate heart uh, in prayer is so important for us. And we see that in Paul. And this is what he is praying for them. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, he says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. So he is, first of all, thanking God in prayer because of their faith and their love for all of God's people. And the word faith just means trust. Like when we say have faith in Jesus, it just means 
you got to trust him. And he's thankful that these people have trust in Jesus. And obviously he knows they have faith, that they're Christians, but a growing trust. That he sees these people that are continuing to grow deeper and deeper in their love and trust in Jesus. But not only that, they're growing in their love for all of God's people. Not just some, uh, not just the people who think like them and act like them and believe exactly like them. All of God's people. And I hope that we are all growing in our trust and love for Jesus and our love for all of God's children. That all of those who call on the name of Jesus, that we'd be shining and pouring out love on all of them. And really this, as, as Sarah talked about this morning, is kind of a summary of our mission, mission statement at the church. I mean, again, if you want to know what our, our, our core is here, is that we want to be people who, who love Jesus and love people. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we want to see lives transformed. Uh, and this is the core of what Jesus said that we are to be, that we're to love God and love people. And so it's important because this is such an essential part of this church and, and the core of the heart of, of the Bible is how are you doing in this area? In loving God and loving people. And just like you need to take your car in for uh, time, time to time to get a little checkup to make sure it's working right, or you go get your teeth checked out at the dentist, I mean, it's good to have a little checkup. So we're going to do a little quick little checkup, and there's a zillion questions we could ask, but let me just ask a few. Uh, first of all, loving and trusting Jesus. Uh, are you experiencing a greater output of the fruit of the Spirit? Uh, Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit, and that is, if you're a believer who is growing, this is the the first things that you should see in your life. Love, joy, peace, uh, forbearance or patience, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do, do you see these things growing in your life? If you look at your life maybe a month ago or a year ago, are these things more evident in your life now than they once were? Uh, if they're more evident, you're growing. If they're not as evident, you're probably going backwards. Uh, we need to be growing in these. Uh, secondly, do you find yourself more engaged in prayer, uh, worship, Bible reading, service, and time with Jesus, or how, however your time with Jesus looks at you? find yourself more engaged with Jesus. Because if you love somebody, you want to spend time with them. I mean, I love my wife, and, and we like spending time together. I mean, if you love Jesus, you want to spend time with him, but if you are growing distant, you will spend less and less time. You'd be less enthusiastic about coming to church and worshiping and, and, and fellowshipping. You'd be less enthusiastic about opening your Bible during the week. You'll be less enthusiastic by just by serving others without expecting things back. I mean, are you growing in your time where you're engaged with Jesus? Uh, are you growing in your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's work in your life? His conviction, His voice, His counsel and leading. Because often the Holy Spirit is, is like a dove in our life. It's that still small voice where he leads us and he convicts us and he's speaking to us. I mean, are, are you able to sense the Holy Spirit working in your life? Or is the Holy Spirit distant and you're not really hearing God anymore and he's just kind of out there and again, it may be a sign that you're drawing away instead of drawing, drawing closer. Uh, this is a big one for me. It's one of the I often use in my life. Uh, are you growing in your trust uh, that his commands are for your good? First uh, John 5 says, in fact, this is love for God. So how do you know if you're going in your love for God? This is it. To keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. That, that do you see those things that Jesus asks of us as a burden? 
Because if you see them as a burden, then you have not captured God's heart. That somehow you think he's against you, that somehow he lays these things out to hurt you, or he doesn't really want you to have fun or pleasure, and that's why you don't understand God. The more you grow in God, the more you understand that everything he lays out for us is for our good. I mean, how are you doing when you read God's word and, and you read through things that he asks in terms of loving people and loving him? Do you see there's a burden or a joy or a grace that we should run towards? I mean, how are you doing in loving Jesus? One of the most important questions you can ask. Uh, how about loving people? Are you growing in your ability to love, serve, and honor others, especially those who are different than you? Because it's easy, simple to love those who love you. No brainer. I mean, this is what Luke says in, in Luke 6. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. That a real test of love, real test if we're able to honor people, is can we do it to those who are different, who are hard to love? Uh, Romans 12 says to be, de, uh, be devoted to one another with mutual love, showing eagerness in honoring one another. It's just this eagerness to just, when you come to church, I just want to honor people around me because they are children of God. I mean, is this pouring out this love, this desire to love and honor those around you? If it's becoming smaller in your life, you're moving in the wrong direction. If this is growing in your life, you're moving in the right direction. Uh, do the people around you see you principally as a loving person? The primary thing that we should see in our life as a follower of Christ is, is love. Uh, John 13 said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Galatians 5, 6 says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It is the first of the fruit of the Spirit. It is one of the enduring uh, things in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is love. I mean, are you principally known as a person who is loving? Uh, if that is becoming more so in your life, then you're going in the right direction. If it's becoming less so, you're going in the wrong direction. Uh, are you growing in your practical giving and service towards those around you, especially those in need? I mean, are you becoming more stingy with your things, with your money, with your stuff, with your time? Becoming more selfish with your, your energy and your time and your money? If that is so, you're going in the wrong direction, especially towards those in need. James 2 says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? I mean, part of loving them, I mean, the whole idea of love in the Bible is it's, it's an action word. I mean, are you growing in your action towards those in need. And, and, and this is really important in our lives because, I mean, everything comes back to how am I doing it loving Jesus and loving people? And that's where we want to grow in. And Paul was super thankful for the church because he's like, I thank you that you're growing in these things. And I hope that if Paul were here, he would look at your life and say, man, I love the way you're growing. But here's the thing. Here's what's interesting about these guys and for us. And that is that just because you're growing today it does not mean you're going to be growing tomorrow or next week. This church, when Paul wrote to it, he was like, man, I'm so thankful you are growing in your love for Jesus and love for people. You know what? It did not last. You read in Revelation, this is uh, John, uh, the apostle, re receives this revelation from God. And he writes it down. There's some words from Jesus to some of the churches. And this was Jesus' word to the church in Ephesus, same church. So to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, 
These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands, the, the, the seven churches there. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name, and you have not grown weary. So they have done a lot of things well. Man, they are working hard. They're persevering. They're, they're you know, uh, not getting involved with wicked people. They're checking out false apostles, and, and they're enduring hardships. But then he says this. I have this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And, and, mo- and a lot of commentators will note that probably what happened is these people got so caught up in working for Jesus and hard work and perseverance and constantly checking out wicked people and apostles that they totally lost sight of what was most important, and that is to love. I mean, just because you're loving today does not mean you'll be loving tomorrow. And it's a lesson from the book of Ephesus that we always need to keep the priority the priority that we are loving Jesus and that we are loving all of God's people and growing in those things. And then he goes on. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And here's the goal, that we may know him better. It should be that, that one of the number one goals of your life, to know Jesus better. Because everything in your life stems from this. Uh, you know the best thing you can do for your marriage? Is to know Jesus better. The best thing you can do for this church is to know Jesus better. The best thing you can do for your friends is to know Jesus better. The best thing you can do for your business is to know Jesus better. The best thing you can do for this community is to know Jesus better. I mean, this has got to be a passion inside of us that we just be knowing and growing in Jesus. And Paul, who wrote this, I mean, he had this passion. I love this text in Philippians 3. Paul writes and speaks of the kind of passion we should have. He says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I have considered everything a loss loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, and I hope that's your desire. That I want to know Christ. Well, I already know him. You can know him more. You can know him more. I mean, Marie and I are going to be married 20 years uh, coming up this March. Super excited about that. And uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and we have an awesome marriage. We really click well together. But, you know, I'm still learning about things about her. And she's a human. How much more of Christ can we learn more? I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I mean, this is core. I mean, do you have a passion to know Jesus better? I mean, if someone looked at your life and the way you spend your time, energy, and your money, would you say, yep, there's someone who wants to know Christ better? Or would they say, hmm, I don't know. It should be a part of us because this is the best thing and the most important thing we can be doing for our life, marriage, ministry is to know him better. Now, how do we know him better? He says this. I keep asking that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you 
the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That we know him better through the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Uh, now you notice here in the NIV they put a capital S. Some translations will have a little s because in the Greek they don't quite know if it's talking about the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom and revelation or the gifts, small s, of wisdom and revelation. And, and it could be either. And really they're kind of the same thing in the end because the Holy Spirit gives us gifts of wisdom and, and revelations and he speaks to us and enlightens us and, 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 and speaks to us and, and those kinds of things. But the heart of this is that it is the Holy Spirit's work that helps us grow in Jesus. Meaning we, we need to be open to the Holy Spirit because what's weird here is like he says, may give you the spirit of wisdom. It's like, don't they already have the Holy Spirit? Of course they have the Holy Spirit. But there's always more. I mean, the testimony of the early church is you see them being filled with the Spirit, and then they're filled again and again and again and again. They're constantly being filled. Paul, in this book, and we'll talk about this later, says, be constantly filled with the Spirit. I mean, you can look at it as, as a cup of water. When you become a Christian, your cup is full of the Holy Spirit. But you know, you can just continually have that dumped on you more and more. And this is what just causes us to want to grow in Him. It's when we are surrendered and open to the Holy Spirit. And are you surrendered and open to the Spirit? Uh, one thing that's been helpful for me in my life is to picture my life like a floor plan. Or my life like, uh, like I have all these rooms in my life. And, 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 the, and the challenge is to invite the Holy Spirit into every single room. Because it's very easy to invite the Holy Spirit into, you know, 90% of my life. But, you know, there's a couple rooms where I just don't want you in right now because, you know, I'm struggling with stuff. I just kind of hold on to this garbage and, you know, I don't want you to see what's going on. You, you kind of you tuck away a room. But you know what the reality is? If you close off a room to the Holy Spirit, you are only opening it to the enemy. I mean, you cannot close off a room to the Holy Spirit and just have it void. It'll be filled with the enemy. That's why later on he says, do not give the devil a foothold. And if you close us a certain area through bitterness, I'm bitter about that person, I'm forgiving towards that person, you know, I got the sin, but I don't want you to deal with the Holy Spirit. It's just like, come on, enemy, please join me in this room. And that's always wrong. That's not what you want. Don't ever be afraid of inviting the Holy Spirit into every aspect of your life. Because he's called your helper. And your counselor, he's not your enemy, he's not going to make it miserable for you, he, he loves you, and he wants to help you, and you say, well, I can't do this on my own, well, invite him in, because he wants to help you. I mean, are there areas in your life right now that are not surrendered to the Holy Spirit? I mean, as you think about it, are there areas in your marriage or in your relationships or in your uh, love relationship with God or in your relationship to this church or to this community or whatever, are there areas that you've just kind of pushed Jesus away and you've kind of locked the door? Because I tell you, Satan's running around there. And you want to get him out by opening up the door to the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is praying that these people would just have, like, it's just like, be surrendered to the Spirit because then you're going to know him more. And we need to walk in greater and greater surrender to the Holy Spirit so that we might know him more. And then he goes on and says, I pray, he continues to pray, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And there's a lot of talk, of course, in our community about being enlightened. And, and this is Christian enlightenment, I guess, that, that through Jesus we are truly enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he has called you. 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And this is another one of these, these, these blessings that we're richer than we think. That we have this amazing inheritance that is to give us hope, it says. And biblically, our inheritance is both now and future. Uh, right now, it has to do with all those things we've talked about. We're forgiven, we're redeemed, we're blessed, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's part of our present inheritance. But there's the future inheritance of being with Jesus in his kingdom when it's at its fullness. I mean, his kingdom is growing, his kingdom is advancing, but there's one day when his kingdom will be at the fullest and there will be no more crying. There will be no more tears. There will be no doctor saying, I got bad news, or you got cancer, or this is not going to turn out well. It'll just be in the presence of Jesus and in the presence of each other. Uh, finally, our mission of loving Jesus and loving people will be at its fullness and its perfection, and this should give us incredible hope. And it's so important that we have hope in this life because as soon as you give up on hope, as soon as you lose your hope, it's when you get really discouraged in life. It's when depression sets in. It's when you want to give up and just like, I just want to get out of life because you have no hope continues to push you forward. And as believers in Christ, there's never an excuse for you to never have hope. There's never an excuse for you to have no hope. Again, it has to do with you're richer than you think. I mean, you might have these baseball cards worth $5. Hey, they're worth a million dollars. We are so rich in Christ. We have so much to hope for that whatever you are going through today, make sure the hope of your inheritance is bigger because it is bigger. So he's praying that, man, that they would have greater hope and they would understand this inheritance that we have. And then finally he says, he's praying I got it some context here. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his hope, in his people, and that we would be enlightened so that we may know that his incomparably great power for us, that he has incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now remember, it's where Christ is, at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms we talked about. Now where are we? Seated with Christ, the Bible says. We are in Christ. And so we have this position of privilege being in Christ. We're actually seated at the right hand in Jesus with God. I mean, that's how blessed we are in Christ far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come, that there is no one bigger and stronger than God. In Jeremiah 27, it says, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and outstretched arm, uh, nothing is too hard for you. I mean, what in your life right now is difficult? I mean, what's just weighing heavy uh, on your heart? What trouble are you facing? I mean, do you believe this truth? That nothing is too hard for our God. It is incredibly important that whatever your trouble is, that your view of God is always bigger and higher than your trouble. As soon as you let your trouble get bigger than God is when, again, you, you lose hope and you lose passion, you lose focus. It's like, you remember when the Israelites were going into the promised land and they go check it out and what do they find in there? Trouble. Big people. 
Two of them said, you know what, God's bigger than trouble. Said, we can do it. Ten of them said, trouble's bigger than God. And they ended up not enjoying the promised land. And it's exactly what happens in our life. When we walk through life and we run into trouble, we say, this is just bigger than God. He just doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. Nothing's happening. He's just bigger. And you get stressed out and worried and filled with anxiety because your trouble's bigger than God. You just end up in hopelessness and you miss out on the promised land that God wants you to see. You need to fight in your trouble to make sure that God is always bigger than your troubles. And you can just imagine how big God is, and he's bigger. In fact, later on in this book, he says, Now glory be to God, by his mighty power at work within us, he is able to accomplish infinitely, not just a little bit, but infinitely, more than we would ever dare to ask or hope, that he is just, he's just far greater than your problem. And sometimes you may just want to visualize your problem like a little flea, and just God is just huge. I mean, because that's what it is. And you just need to walk in that, to always believe that God is bigger than your problems, because God is all-powerful. And what's amazing about this text is, notice what it says, and his incomparably great power for us. His power is for us. This is what Paul says. Sometimes we think God's power is against us. Again, because we, again, we think his commandments are against us. We think God is against God is out to get me. God is out to, you know, blow me up or whatever. His power is, is for us. You know why? Because God is love. Love, by its very nature, is giving, not selfish. God is not selfish. He is, by his very nature, a giving God, and his power is, is, for, is for us. Now, sometimes it may play out in our lives in different ways than we might think, and sometimes we may be like, what are you doing, God? But his power is supposed to, again, we need to grasp this and hold on to this. And sometimes we get scared of this because sometimes we think of someone who is all-powerful and we get threatened by them. And you think about an all-powerful government, and it scares us, right? All-powerful, you know, like, you know, husband or a wife, it scares us. But God is not only 100% powerful as we talk in this church, but he is 100% love. And his power is for us. And this is what it says in, in Romans 8, that God is for us. God is for you. This is why you don't need to be afraid of surrendering your, surrendering your life completely to God. And you know why we don't surrender every room to God? Why we hold on to these things? Because somehow we've got caught up to believe that he's against us. That if I open up in this room, then, you know, everything's going to fall apart. And it's like, the best thing you can do is just fall on your knees and just absolute surrender and say, Holy Spirit, I want all of you. I want you to invade every room of my life. I want to I know you better. And I tell you, it's the best thing you can do in your life. And I hope that's your passion because that is our passion here in this church that we would be growing our love for Jesus and growing in our love for people. And so the challenge this week is maybe take some time as you're reading through God's word and praying uh, or you're journaling. Just to, Are there areas of your life that are really not surrendered? And sometimes it takes a little while to dig deep into that and to really to find that out. Are there really areas where I'm not surrendered? And why? Ask why. Because a lot of times it's because you're afraid. But you don't need to be afraid. Because God is for you. And his power is for you. And he loves you incredibly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are so passionate towards us.
that you pursue us, that you uh, pour out love and grace upon us, that you're constantly calling us to yourself. And God, I pray you would teach us about true surrender. You teach us to truly surrender when it comes to loving you and truly be able to surrender when it comes to loving people. God, that you would invade every area of our life. God, if there are areas in in our lives where we are holding back from you, that we've closed the door, I I pray, God, that you would shine a light on those areas so that we might understand why we've closed those doors. God, if it's because of fear, I pray that you would reveal us that that perfect love has cast out all fear and that you are for us and not against us and that your power is for us. And God, you are a helper and you are a counselor. And God, you want to move us forward in what you've called us to. God, I pray if there are things in our lives that are hindering loving you and loving people, that you would, God, just knock those down. You'd break down those barriers. God, I pray that we would be known as an incredibly loving church that is in passionate love with you. And like this church of Ephesus one time is in love with all of God's people. So God, work in us. Uh, Help us, God, uh, look to you. And God, as we go from this place, we pray for uh, power over us this week. We pray, as Paul prayed, that you would, the Holy Spirit would be upon us and fill us. You would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation as we go from here. God, I pray you'd help us to love you and to love people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.